Hello, my name is Matthew Margerson. I write music for film and television, and we're here today to talk about all things Rocketman. Awesome, Matt. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me back to your studio. So great to talk again. Door's always open for you, Kaya. <laughs> How are you? Great. So you've been whirling away at this movie for quite some time now. I have, off and on for... Um, Nearly a year. Yeah, wow. That's a, I remember a long time ago when you were like just starting out. Um, so it's finally. I mean, that's it must be exciting to have like be at the finish line. We're just about there. Yeah, like we have four or five days until <laughs> it's released worldwide. That's amazing. Um, so before we jump into that, um, I know we did a nice big long interview last time, but just to kind of anybody who's discovering this now, I would love to kind of start with your kind of background, your kind of origin story, and kind of go back to sure. the beginning. And do you remember kind of any? kind of defining moments of your childhood or whenever in your life you decided like music is going to be part of my life and then when did it become a career? Yeah, the, the defining moment, we, I think we probably did talk about this last time, but uh, to recap briefly, um, I think I was probably eight or nine years old uh, living in New Jersey at the time and I went to see Phantom of the Opera right. on, on Broadway. And uh, I always say I couldn't have really cared less about the show itself. I was more interested in the, the conductor and the orchestra and what was happening underneath the stage. Right got to kind of sneak up and talk to the conductor, you know, during intermission and ask him some questions and that was just this is this is it. I need to be I need to be dealing with these this behavior. Cuz you yeah, you 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 developed like this kind of this uh passion for musical theater, right? Yeah, absolutely. I spent a lot of my time uh in my youth both kind of being on stage doing some singing and dancing um until I couldn't really cut that anymore. <laughs> and then What was um, the cutoff age? <laughs> Oh, I don't know, maybe, well, I started getting into doing musical direction for, like, community theaters and oh. state theater groups, um, again, back on the East Coast, and uh, took a real passion to just, like, leading those bands and learning all that, kind of, how to, how to, how to try to time the underscore to musicals to what was happening on the stage, yeah, and uh, yeah. it was cool, I mean, I, yeah, I took a real liking to it. So, at what point um, did you decide, did you pursue the move out here? I mean, did you go to school for I music? did. I went to Berklee College of Music in mm -hmm. Boston, and they had a uh, film music program. Right. So I, I studied film music there. I studied uh, orchestral composition there. I did, I did two majors there. And then um, I was also playing in a band at the time, a 10-piece funk band, uh, which was really, really fun um, <laughs> at the time. And I'm, I'm glad I got the, the rock and roll lifestyle out of my system when I was 20 and 21. It seemed like that was yeah, a path for most, for most yeah, <laughs> composers. Was, They're like, yeah, we great. did the rock thing and now it's time to... It was it was a lot. <laughs> I mean, and how many Motel 6s on the floor I just slept on? We had we were sponsored by Jägermeister. We had like a bus. <laughs> and amazing. It was, it, was a, it was a trip looking back on it now. Um, but after school, um, I stayed in Boston for a year thinking, what, what, am, what the hell am I going to do with the music? degree in composition yeah um, and, I, and I really did want to pursue the the film music thing mm. um, but while the band was kind of still going on I didn't want to abandon that completely and eventually things took their course and the band dissolved and uh, I, uh, I my, my partner in crime my girlfriend at the time my, my wife now um, we just packed up once once she graduated she also went to school in Boston we just packed up the the Ford Explorer at the time and, and drove across the country that much so was it I mean once you came here like was it Excitement? Was it fear? Was it, did you, yeah, did you have it was a job? All that stuff. Did you have no. a job lined up? Like, um, how did you kind I, of survive those first few years? A lot of ramen <laughs> and a, a lot of peanut butter and jelly. Um, as soon as I got to LA, I was lucky enough to. Uh, s there's a small music school for children in Santa Monica, and so I got a couple students there. Mm. And between that and waiting tables for you know the first year off and on. 
um, was able to kind of make ends meet barely. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't long after I moved out here. It was probably about four or five months after I moved out to LA, I answered an ad online and, and got myself into remote control productions, Hans Zimmer's company, um, as an intern for one of the composers here. And it was unpaid um, for a couple months until I kind of proved my value. And then slowly and steadily, I was able to kind of quit the restaurant job waiting tables and stop teaching the kiddies, the piano, yeah, yeah. And, um, and the rest is history. You That's know, I've, amazing. I've, I've kind of, I've, I've been able to kind of utilize being at Hans's company to work with people and to learn both the mus musical and non-musical components of of this crazy city. I mean, that, that's that's been. I mean, five months in, this has probably been must have been the best education you could have gotten. Oh, it's amazing! I here. mean, it, 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 it's amazing. It's it's just the it's the it's the graduate degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? And you started you started working with Jim. Is that? I started working with Klaus Bedell. Oh, Klaus, that's right. Yeah, and and it was a crash course in um, in the technical kind of aesthetic of what we do. Klaus was, um, he's always pushing, or I haven't seen or talked to him in years, but he was always pushing what our computers can do and how we can utilize technology right. um, to in, in, in this field. And so while I had what I felt at the time was a really strong compositional background about music and harmony and theory and all this other things, um, I had really never touched an Apple computer before moving out here. <laughs> um, so it was a lot of manual reading and figuring out how to how to navigate my way through that world. Absolutely. And um, during those those times, I mean, even now, t even today in your career, uh, I started talking with composers more about this lately. I just talked about with Alan Silvestri, and, and we talk about kind of the failures we do to kind of just how with their learning experience. A lot of people shy away from talking about mistakes they make or, or things that they, you know, fuck up with, And but it's such a important part to learn from. Is there any moments, like, mistakes you made, like, early on in your career that you're like, I know never to do that again. Like, like there were kind of these... I don't make mistakes, Kaya. <laughs> no, no, I... Um, no, of course. Uh, anything that really pops out... Um, well, I stopped working... Let's talk. Let's not talk about mistake, but let's talk about gambles. Yeah, you know? gambles. Yeah, um, risks. I've I stopped working for Klaus Bedelt after about I don't know a year and a half, mm -hmm. maybe two years after working for him as an intern and a tech assistant, and wasn't doing that much creative uh, work. Kind of, kind of. Well, here's one mistake. I kind of got too good at making coffee. <laughs> Um, where I was running his studio and he had three or four studios that were duplicates of each other and making sure they're all in sync and mm. um, and staying up till four in the morning kind of doing the night duties of well he's worked all day so now I have to kind of go and clean up things and ship things off to directors and you know um, and so I wasn't after that long I felt I really want to grow in a more creative yeah. way uh, and there was another composer at the time um, whose career was just starting to really pick off, uh, Jim Dooley, yeah, 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 um, Jim. who we kind of chatted and he was, he was taking on some things where he could use someone to help with the organization. So I, I cordially left working with Klaus mm -hmm. and that was a gamble because Klaus was kind of, a, you know, he's A-list composer. Yeah, yeah. And for me to kind of throw that away and, and, and start working <laughs> with someone whose career is just starting to bloom right. was a, a definite huge gamble um, and it proved to be a, a successful one because after a couple months Jim really took me on as a as a musical apprentice as as well as keeping the the shop running yeah uh, absolutely and so you know he would kind of work till 10 p.m. and I'd kind of go in in the middle of the night and kind of study his sequences and maybe kind of orchestrate a little bit of percussion to begin with and and it, it's just kind of the way the 
the hierarchy yeah, was yeah. working in the city at that point, you know. And that I mean that led to working with Henry and Hans, so it blossomed into these more collaborative yeah. environments. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And and of course the gamble once I w once I had worked with Jim for a couple of years, we got super tight, and he was um, he was taking on a lot of work, and I got to help orchestrate some things and arrange a lot of of, of his music with him, and. Um, then there was, you know, a gamble to stop doing that and talk to Hans and, you know, can I help you with some of your, can I, can I take out this loan to buy a bunch <laughs> of gear and kind of land it on my feet one way or another. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so during those times, I mean, I mean, I remember moving out here and a lot of people moving out here, and even today in your, I'm sure when you started Rocket Man, do you ever encounter like moments of this like doubt? Like, how do I overcome doubt? How do I build confidence in myself? Do you, how do you wrestle with doubt and confidence in this in this profession? You hope that the director likes the music. I think. Yeah. I think every time I start something new, you're with a blank canvas, and there's just this. How am I going to get this done? Yeah, I'm that's sure. Right. I, I, I would hope that everyone has that same experience. Yeah, I yeah. mean. Uh, you know, I'm super close with with Hans, and I know he goes through that on every single gig, you're looking at a blank screen or a blank piece of paper and like, how the hell am I going to get yeah. this? Yeah, even though you've done it so many times, it's still... <laughs> 40 minutes of music, to, you know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and, and you know, you kind of slowly figure out one thing that might work and six things that don't. And if you have that one thing that works for one scene, it's just the, the initial pebble splash that hopefully you can build on and create some sort of musical world for that specific, hopefully, project. Right, there. right. Um, and I, uh, I, I'm afraid if I asked you this last time, if I mm. did, we could explore it again. But where does the first note come from? Like, I know it's going to be different on every film or every project. But like, do you like to read the script? Do you like to just sit with the director? Do you like to wait for that first cut? Like, if what there's is an like... if there's an opportunity to, um, to read the script, if you're on that early, yeah. yeah. If you're if you're on that early, that's I mean, Rocket Man's the perfect example where yeah, yeah. I I got the script. Uh, you mean well over a year ago, and was able to kind of write a lot of music away from picture. Mm. Um, there's a, let's get into that story in a minute, none of which was eventually used. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, or, or maybe there's that one, I'm, I'm starting another film currently, which, um, you know, that we have this whole idea of a temp score. Right. And um, there's, there was one, you know, kind of sequence in the movie, a scene in the movie that they couldn't find the right temp score. So I've been asked to kind of make this the first thing we do. Mm. Um, and that could hopefully establish a tone that we can build on for the rest so, you know, in that situation, someone was giving, okay, take a look at this scene specifically, and we have conversations with the director, and what do you want, how, and, um, and so, 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 yeah, so there's a lot of different ways that first note comes from, or I may be listening to something, I may be on my drive home from work listening to Mahler or some EDM or some Elton John or something, and there's right. one chord change, where I'm like, ooh, you know what, that's really interesting, <laughs> see if I could, and then, the, and, it, and it kind of cascades from there. So when you're uh, working with, Directors, directors, working with directors is part of your job. You're going to encounter so many different uh, personalities, different uh, people. How do you, how's it different working like with someone like Dexter Fletcher, who you've worked with before, mm. or for someone that you've worked maybe for the first time? Is there a, a really stark difference yeah, there? No, but definitely. There's a, um, there's a, a shorthand mm -hmm. that you, this is my second time working with Dexter, and right. I've done, you know, four or five films with Matthew Vaughn now, right, and there's yeah. a definite shorthand, and there's, and for those for those two specifically, um, there's a definite. I mean, Dexter gives you a bit of a long leash, and he's a reactionary. I, I get to take more of a well. This is what well, this is what I think, and let me bring this to the table, um, and and see how he reacts to it. Um, it was very similar working with with Tim. Um, 
Matthew, we have these conversations and he has a definite idea of what he wants. Right. I mean, he's not sitting there going like, well, now we need to do this. and I would, But tonally, um, and then we can, you know, I can kind of go back to the laboratory and try to shape that and take our conversation and turn it into something. Absolutely. So let's follow that, that path that, that kind of led to Rocket Man because it, I think it all started, of course, you working with Henry on, was it first kick-ass it was the first kick-ass first kick-ass yeah. so that's that kind of was the first connection with matthew vaughn that was had. my first indirect connection with with matthew vaughn right so and it um, kind of followed up <laughs> yeah then it followed up with with kick-ass and henry and i did that as kind of a co-composition kick-ass too yeah 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 and um he was just taking he i mean henry was his crew was blowing up then and mm -hmm. i think matthew had talked to him about doing it and and he's like i i, I can't i'm on so many movies right now and I couldn't give it the attention. Right. And it was Matthew's, well, what about that guy that helped you on the first Kick-Ass and can we bring him in and, you know, we can kind of all do this together one way or another. Right, right. And so that was proved to be musically um, a successful collaboration. And then uh, Matthew called for when he was just starting to write and get Kingsman underway and he, he called and said, hey, let's, let's get the band back together. He literally was said, you know, it worked last time, let's same people get the same mixer and same engineer and all you know and uh and it's kind of become the nice little our, our nice little club to get things done yeah absolutely yeah. and then so uh, yeah, eddie the eagle was the first time you worked with with dexter with dexter right yeah and matthew pr produced that but that uh, that was honestly it's one of my favorite scores in the past like i want to say like decade Thank i don't want to like so much fun don't want to like you know pat your back too hard but Thank it was you. really I great had, i just it was a really precious time for me because musically it was like so different than anything i had done and it, it was, was just fun such it, a breath i mean i, I remember I've, i think we did talk about it last time but go but you got to play with all these amazing synths right you got to like kind of pull back that retro kind of yeah sound for those big like, yeah since you know it's since with stranger things it's since made and and some others i think eighth grade has an amazing synth component to its yeah, score yeah. um and it's since it's it has synth made it has synth <laughs> made it, synth it's pun. Um, <laughs> it's since made a little bit of a renaissance yeah yeah, but, yeah um you know we were with eddie the eagles do we go do we go rudy do we go sports underdog heartfelt or do we try to do that with the music of the time period right and uh lucky for me in my bank account there was all these like old 80s synths that were people that were just sitting in people's storage facilities uh, and collecting dust because it, it hadn't quite made its full renaissance yet. And so I was able to go and just look on like Craigslist and eBay and get a whole, all these, all this gear that people just didn't want. They were like paying me to take it. Um, and I was able to kind of pull up some of those, what was, what was, you know, uh, Mariah Carey or, or um, you know, some of these bands in the late 80s, what were they using for right. some of their, yeah, yeah. Mariah Carey's a terrible example, but um, like Daryl Oates, <laughs> like what, you know, what are some of these sounds that, that they were, they were, they were they were using back then and kind of run with it. And how did you know not to do too much? Because I feel like it's so easy to be get so, to get so schmaltzy in a movie like that. Yeah. Like how did you find that line of being really tearjerker versus not like oh this is cheesy. Yeah, no, there's a fine line. There's a bit of cheese in it. There's yeah, a bit of cheese. But in I, Eddie I like Eagle cheese on sure, my. But I like I like cheese. Yeah, nice a sprinkle a little of cheese. Parm is, <laughs> goes a long way. Um, <laughs> Dexter's really good at that. Yeah. Dexter knows when um, when we're being too saccharine mm. and we're being too too schmaltzy. Yeah. Um, and there's a definite uh, difference culturally, I think, between the the Brits mm. and the Americans. You know, I mean, I'm I'm all for the cheese. I am like, give me the box of Kleenex and let's get the emotion on. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a. The, it's nice having someone there to pull you back from that and rein you down and know 
and that's his job ultimately. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to direct to, 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 <laughs> to steer the ship in, in that sort of way. Um, so it was a collaborative effort. Lots of conversations, lots of options, lots of, well, here's three different versions that are slightly different of, of this piece of music for this scene, and you know, let's chat about it. And, and working with Dexter, because he's also an actor, um, yes. uh, do, you, do you notice that he brings a different edge with that? It's like, oh, he I'm... pulls performances out of actors almost better than any director that I know or have worked with. I mean, he really does, um, I think as a director, that's, that's really where Dexter shines, is yeah. to know how to, how to talk to the actor, actors to really get what he wants out of them. Um, it's, I mean, you'll see, you've seen it in Eddie the Eagle. Uh, his, I mean, I wasn't a part of it, but Sun, Sunshine on Leith and, yeah. and, and, um, and certainly in Rocketman, when you see it, I mean, what he got Taron to, to, to deliver for that movie is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, and then that's like the trio's back together now again for Rocketman. You have Taron, you, yeah. and, and Dexter. So starting when that movie came up, um, and he came to you. I mean, what were your first reaction? Like, hey, I got this thing. Do you want it? Was it was it immediately you got the part or got the the job or? Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was probably. I mean, the script has been floating around for years. Yeah, because I, I mean, remember. I, yeah. Even it might have even been during the time of Kingsman One or Eddie the Eagle when Matthew and I were talking about. Hey, would would you be interested in like being a part of this Elton John thing? Becomes up. And I mean, I, I mean, my first stadium concert ever when I was ten years old was Billy Joel and Elton John oh, at wow. a giant stadium in New Jersey. <laughs> so to be, even be considered for to be a part of something like that is is just a trip. Um, but yeah, I I don't I didn't really necessarily have to demo for it mm. to get the gig or anything. I had had the relationship with Dexter from Eddie that worked out quite well. Um, I, I, I feel at that point I was the first or second phone call from Matthew to mm -hmm. kind of get involved with things. And um, so it was just when we started up, um, and of course, uh, uh, Matthew's dear friend and, and now my dear friend also is um, son of the late George Martin, Giles Martin, mm. so a, music, yeah. a brilliant music producer. Um, and so he, when we really started getting into the thick of it, um, he's, his, him and his team really produced the songs for this, this film, and I, and I wrote and produced the score. And as we got more into post-production, and even some of the pre-production, but those lines got blurred just a bit uh, yeah. when, when necessary um, for certain reasons. And, um, and it was just a really healthy collaboration to, to, to learn from someone that comes from a completely different musical world than I do, yeah, do yeah, like, yeah. like Giles, you know? And it really was a completely different way about coming up with a product. Yeah, know? so I mean, talk about when you first started the process uh, when you had to find the sound for the score. Mm. So you had the the song team that was kind of. Of course, there were going to be these song pieces and yes. these. Um, these uh, Most of them are all written into the script, so right. you knew what they were. So going you knew to where be. they were going to be and everything. So yeah. did you follow the song? Like you followed Elton's music to kind of guide what the score was going to be, or did you try to counter it in any way with your music? Well, what we, what what initially I did was, I went out and wrote some themes, mm -hmm. having just read the script. So this is while they were shooting. I knew, I kind of read the script and said, well, we certainly need something for Elton's struggle with his parents, for example. Right. We certainly need something to represent addiction. We certainly need a young Elton theme. We certainly need some sort of musical behavior for um, his relationship with Bernie Taupin. And so I went and wrote a couple themes uh, just on piano. It wasn't mm -hmm. a full-on produced track or anything, but just some melodies that I thought could we could pin down to the characters or these themes in the film. And we sent them to Matthew, and we sent them to Dexter, and we sent them to Giles, and you know, and um, and everyone was on board. Everyone loved them. Um, but what happened was is that when I, I I moved to London for three months to do the post production with them once they were done shooting, and once I started kind of writing 
music for scenes using these new themes, we all, including myself, mm -hmm. um, so why are we trying to write new, brand new melodies for Elton John when he's written one or two that are really good? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that became an exercise in, A, which songs and how they are presented in the film can rep represent certain ideas cinematically, and how do we take Elton John's band and his his songs and the piano and, and how can we do that in a score fashion and right how can right. we make that cinematic how can we kind of deconstruct them and pick um intervals for example that you might be able to play on a synth or just on a solo violin that as soon as you hear the first three notes you know exactly what it is right and we're how do we make that now try to represent an idea of the film whether it be like his struggle with his parents or addiction or whatever it is because yeah because the certain s musical sequences like they would pick a song and a kind of a fantasy sequence that would be for his addictive part or like this triumphant moment so you take that and begin, okay i know what the emotion is that needs to the song is representing yes in, in terms yes of the and, and and how do we and how do we like you're talking about emotion and how do we make one theme be tragic right in its presentation and how do we make something the same exact theme be a bit more angst filled and angry or how do we make it joyous and so um so it was an interesting exercise of taking some of those completely well-known musical DNA and kind of presenting them in a, in a storytelling way. Um, what we, we had a really nice happy accident um, in the process of this, which we, we realized that there are two or three really known Elton John songs that just coincidentally start with the same three chords. Mm. And so I would play those three chords and you know someone at Dexter would say, oh, those are the first three chords from this song. No, 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 those are the first three chords. Wait a minute, they're actually the first three chords for a couple different songs. So those three chords, um, actually became a major theme in the movie because you can interchangeably use them and it reminds you of a couple different songs right and um, and the way they're pres the, the, the structure of the chords themselves are easily manip manipulatable to evoke different emotions if that makes sense absolutely yeah. and so how much did uh, Terrence performance influence it too I mean the songs are influencing but I mean his take on if Elton anything Terrence performance has made everything easy I mean yeah. the guy's just oozing with talent yeah. You know, I mean, he, he not only, I didn't know this, I learned this during the process of the, of the, of the post-production that the Welsh are uh, infamously known for their singing. Oh, really? Their, I didn't know that either. The culture, they're <laughs> good singers. So not only does he have that going for him, um, but, but he also, um, from my understanding, really worked hard for months with some vocal coach and some training on not, not how to sing it, but how to sing like Elton was with yeah. inflections and how to pronounce the vowels and how to, you know. So, um, so it, if anything, he made my job easier, you know, um, because his performance, I mean, he just really transforms into Elton in this film. And you've know? scored pretty much almost his entire career now. Yeah, point. almost. There's a couple, there's a couple that I, I, uh, I narrowly escaped, but, um, <laughs> but he, but he, yeah. And, and it's always, it's, I mean, whenever I'm working on a Terran scene, it's, I don't, there's never a, um, in some cases we have directors, oh, the scene's not that great. So we need music to help save it. Right. But that just doesn't happen when he's on screen. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you're, when the, when the song team is working and you're working, I mean, how much communication are you guys having? So you make sure that everyone's on the same page. Oh, I mean, lots. lots oh, so it's ab absolutely. Um, especially with this, you know, the one thing we didn't want to do with this movie was a musical in the sense that there's a scene happening mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden the song start the song here you can you can tell when the song starts right you know? right um and so that's where i 
came in and had very close communication again with Giles, um, the, the song producer, to, to how do we go from score and melt into song in a really homogenous and seamless and effortless way. So it's a lot of, let me write this and you write this and we'll see what happens and we're in the same key and we have the same size orchestra and well, what if you mute that because I can, and so there was a lot of trial and error on how to, how to get that, you know, oh, maybe the first verse of this song I'll actually have as part of my underscore and mm. someone just sings and then slowly his drummer, Giles' drummer can start playing or the guitars can come in or something. So it's not, here's a song, you know. Yeah, so um, it was like, yeah, yeah like, so it was, it was a, it was a great, collaboration it was a great experiment you know and um and because the movie is so song heavy i i when i came on board i said look you know i have the guys that i usually work with who are i'm try to be as loyal as i can to and love working with but i wanted to embrace there's so many songs in the film that mm. like giles can i use your orchestrator can i use your mix engineer um let's talk about your the size of the orchestra that you're using for some of your songs because i want I don't want people to be able to tell where score stops and song ends yeah, and score yeah. stops. So we, we just put the whole team together and all just work together. So I was, I was like working with a co-composer. I mean, you had... Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And there are, some, there are some pieces in the movie that, you know, a song will start and in the middle of it, it, go, it transforms into my score and then it transforms back into the song mm -hmm. and then back into my score. So it was, it, was, it was just a really... I haven't really done anything like it before. And when... I guess when you when you're hitting like these big musical scenes, um, I, I guess there's a question: Is how how do you score? Are you scoring it chronologically? Are you doing the kind of these big scenes at certain times and then kind of threading the needle between them? Like how did how did the process work structurally? Like, is it just like okay, we have we're getting to this moment and then we have a song, or are you kind of figuring out the songs first and then figuring out the score, or is it all just at? One I think time? it was just a big homogenous process. Yeah, um, and we had. You know, throughout the course of the post-production, we had some test screenings mm. with test audiences. And so we knew what wasn't working and what was. So things that we maybe had done and thought, oh, that's great, it's working great. You come back from a test audience screening and that song scores the lowest out of all the songs <laughs> in the film. So what do, we, what do we know? Let's go back to the drawing board and right, see if we right. can figure out a different execution of things. Um, and, and even with the score, uh, going back to my point about um, not ha not having the score be too sentimental. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's about 30, 30, 35 minutes of pure score in the film, if you're to strip out all of the kind of cross-breeding scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them were just multiple versions of. You know, this is the one where we're really trying to pull the heartstring, but maybe we're spoon-feeding the audience a bit too much, so right. let's make it a bit beiger and let the acting speak for itself. And it was a lot of, um, you know, trying to yeah. figure out where that needle should be. Absolutely. So when you're, um, when you're kind of diving into, it doesn't have to be Rockman, but anything, mm -hmm. but your process, um, and you need to evoke a certain emotion, I guess, where, where do you go headspace-wise to, like, get there? Do you just rely on the, what you're seeing on screen? Do you kind of reflect back on maybe a moment, like, if you need to get, like, a... A sad moment do you reflect on sadness in your own life or I mean do you make it autobiographical do you keep that separate kind of what is the process there um I th I think I think I'm a pretty emotional person to begin with yeah. I mean when if I go to see a show on the West End or if I go to see a show on Broadway or I mean 
I'm, I'm bound to have tears at some point, even if it's not a sad moment, just yeah. the overwhelming quality just of some emotion, of these productions. Yeah. You're a crier too? I'm a crier, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to shout that too loud, but they, I think there's a, there's a term for it as an empath. Yeah, there you go. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's way but more better. someone that immediately can empathize with something that's going on and, right. and feel the same thing. So, um, yeah, I remember I was, I was working on one of the scenes for Eddie the Eagle when he, it's in the middle of the movie, I think it's one of the runs that he doesn't land and he becomes uh, disqualified and doesn't, doesn't progress on in the right. Olympics. And um, there's a beautiful scene where Taron's not even saying that much on the screen, but just acting and his disappointment is coming through for his facial expressions. And I remember sitting literally right here writing it and like having to step away because I was like, I can't keep working on this scene. I was getting like welled up myself. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, I think it's just trial and error. I think timing's a lot of it. I think mm -hmm. I, I, I struggle with timing quite a bit as far as, um, you know, if there is a, a tragic moment or is there, and I've written something that I really believe in and I believe mm -hmm. this is the money moment where we really want to pull it out of the audience. Yeah. Um, and I'll take that moment and like, oh, let's move it like 15 frames to the left. And let me go take a walk and come back and see how that feels. And then let me, okay, maybe let me move it two seconds later so we can let the audience digest before we hit them on the head with the emotion musically. Yeah. Um, so I spend a lot of time, a lot of time doing that, moving things around and seeing what just sits, sits right. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question oh, for sure. about yeah, you know, emotion, but it's it's a lot of just trial and error. And, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's it's so it's so kind of subjective to begin with. So totally, there's, everything. There's no in this right answer. Medium is there's subjective. more wrong answers yeah. than the right ones. You know. When I see people like attacking other people for what they like or what they don't like, it just it's like so oh, ridiculous. Yeah. And like I mean, online, and it kind of feels that. Yeah, you kind of have to ignore all that fat because you know you have what the one thing I've learned too when I listen to scores or go to see movies and say, well, that was an interesting decision mm -hmm. musically to do that. It's like, well, I have no idea the history. Right, of yeah. It could have been something completely different that the composer did and the director or some producer or someone with a suit and tie at Universal, which was like, no, we need to change that. And, yeah. and they may have seen it once. And, and so you, you just never know. And it's, uh, yeah, a lot of people also forget, at least when it comes to music, you are serving the director. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, um, no. And everyone's, also, everyone's trying to make the best thing that they can make. Yeah. So no one's out there trying to make shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wish, uh, yeah, every, every, everyone should have that mindset and I realize know. that, you know, you're all working towards the right goal. And on Rocketman, we, we, I was lucky enough to, it was just a mutual respect and love fest of, let's just make the best thing possible. Did you get to meet with Elton at all? I did get to meet Elton. Wow. Um, it, which was which was just, I mean, I don't know what the right <laughs> adjective would be for that. But um, he and Bernie Taupin wrote a song for the end credits. Oh, nice. And so uh, when Giles and I were recording, we recorded the track for that um, and kind of got things in order and then had him and Taryn come in to record the song, to record the vocals for it. So I was kind of a there with him the whole day doing that session and uh yeah i mean the guys when he goes into the booth and is as as wonderful as taryn is at an actor and at singing um you know when elton goes in to sing his his lines in the song you're like oh well it's elton john yeah you know, there's just no mistaking that it's he's a, a force you know I saw him when he was in a, when he did his residency in Vegas, my wife and I went. It was yeah. actually at the first trip we did as a couple, and it was like at the Coliseum there, and it was like 
fantastic. Like, yeah. I still, I, I was trying to, I missed his show in LA though. He's doing his final kind of farewell tour. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he did, um, he did some shows in LA in January, February, I believe. Yeah. But I believe he's actually, I think he's coming back. He's coming back, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I don't know the details, but I don't think he's completely. Yeah, it's back. like a three year farewell tour. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so looking at your career now, do you think, experience i'm not just like working on moves but just living life i mean you're a father now you're a husband do you think yeah. that has made you a better storyteller do you think living i hope so yeah um do you think you're a different storyteller than you were like 10 years ago oh absolutely yeah i don't i mean that comes from doing more scenes mm -hmm. and and looking and knowing how to look at things and knowing how to you know be just more mature as far as looking at a scene and knowing certain things like perspective or just having a little bit more experience on knowing, like I said before, like how, how much are we spoon feeding the audience here? Right, things, right. Like, things like that. But, um, and of, and of course the, you know, there's the, there's the really tangible components of it. Like when I became a father, my day shifted from working from noon till 4am to like now, you know, six till dinner time or eight till dinner time or whatever. And right. sometimes when the deadlines are on, you, you, you push on into the night. Um, and of course, you know, certain, you, you prioritize certain things differently in your life. And, um, and of course, you know, be, being a father evokes, evokes certain emotions that you yeah. didn't know you had before that. Right. You know. Uh, so, so yeah, I think all those things kind of go into the, the ingredient pool of what, what I can output, you know, but, but certainly doing it more. And yeah. I hope that's the case. And it's just, there's the whole 10,000 hour rule. But, um, but you're still learning. I mean, every day. Oh, you just never stop. You'll never stop. Yeah, why would you? Yeah, forever. If you say you're, you've, you've learned it all, you know. Just I'm done. <laughs> and then and then throw and then throw in, of of course, um, trends and 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 how filmmaking is changing and how storytelling is changing and it's certainly different than it was five years ago and fifteen years ago and forty years ago and you know, it's it's always kind of evolving, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, are you do you? How has that affected you? I mean, are you like more? Are you, do you have to stay aware of like what the trends are? Do you are always like listening and looking at what other people are doing? Well, well um, sometimes <laughs> if things are slow, you're like, oh, there's someone came out with a new album, you know. And I have I have my kind of geeking out. John Debney came out with a new album. Let's see what he did, you know. <laughs> um, and that goes back to my 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 youth of who were the people that inspired me to right. to 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 get involved in this stupid world. Um, <laughs> but uh. But yeah, I think that I don't listen to things to say what are the trends, what right. am I doing, um, what or what am I gonna take from that, or you know, yeah. um, I, I try to listen for enjoyment's sake. <coughs> but you know what's going on. You watch yeah, enough yeah. Netflix and Apple movies and stuff to know what's going on. But I think part of the part of the goal is to also do enough slightly differently that you're also part of the team that's pushing things forward. Absolutely. And uh, so you've worked on this massive Elton John picture. Uh, if you could take any other kind of big musical artist that if you had a, your wish, a genie granted you a wish to do another musical biopic, who, who do you think deserves one and who, who would you like to work on? The thing on? about Elton's music is that he's such a colorful, I mean, growing up, I will admit, yeah, El I mean, a piano player growing up, yeah. primarily. So Elton was right up there with what I was playing when I was 13, 14, 15. Uh, I, Billy Joel kind of slightly topped that just because of the American component of everything. Right, and Blue right. Collar, we really, he is a very specific target audience, I think, Billy Joel. Um, and you're in Jersey, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's right <laughs> down the street, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. But, but Elton brings also just this crazy, wild, colorful personality yeah. that some of these guys, like, I mean, who are the, the David, like David Bowie would bring something 
something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so it'd be hard to top being able to, and with Elton, because of that, what he brings personality-wise to this story, we kind of didn't have any rules, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, maybe, let's rephrase the question. I think that a... I think that a really good Sinatra biopic would be amazing. Yeah. Um, whether or not I worked on it, I think that'd be a life that would be, especially because I'm sure there's a lot of darkness there. Yeah, yeah. That we all just think of like him singing New York, New York, and you don't realize all the shit that's going on backstage. Yeah. Um, there's a really great Bob Marley documentary that came out. It's quite lengthy, but um, that came out a couple of years ago. It was not a musical, but Bob would be someone to explore that could be Absolutely. cool he read a, he led a really interesting life that i think we all kind of shut the we, we kind of blind ourselves to kind of it's some a, of the more negative yeah it's amazing how yeah. these big you know these names live these lives and it's and um i guess going back to rocket man i think it seems like you, you were able to um stay away from those kind of biopic archetypes but still explore kind of those the path that you expect of an artist having their ups and downs and then kind of that Oh yeah. yeah, no, yeah. this is a, it's a dark movie. I yeah. mean, it's got its it's got its moments of. I I went to a screening um, last weekend with some with some people of the film and is advanced screening. No mm -hmm. one has seen it, and and there's a couple there's a point in the movie in which everything kind of it shifts, and a buddy of mine that I was watching with he turns to me and he goes, oh, "Shit, just got real, didn't it?" <laughs> and so uh, where you know, and I and I think I think to. The inevitable comparison is going to happen with Bohemian Rhapsody, of course, which I thought was a fantastically entertaining film. Right, and, and Dexter the, worked on that. Dexter well, worked yeah. on that, and especially what Dexter and John Ottman were able to do with that last Live Aid sequence is yeah. just Amazing. an achievement in in musical cinema. Is yeah. just fantastic. Um, but we'll you know we'll call a spade a spade. The the movie right, is right. A, is a very tame version of Freddie Mercury's life. Right. Um. And we didn't. That it's not Rocket Man. Is a. It's pretty brutal. There's some pretty tragic and dark and tension filled scenes that are you know that lead us down the path of addiction and how that can, you know, really screw up your life and drive people away and kind of turn relationships on their side and yeah, because I know with the um, Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, you know, Queen, uh, they were kind of monitoring that, that film pretty closely. And came From what I hear, they were involved, yeah. I yeah, mean, so, but was Elton, like, you, was he kind of hands-off? Uh, no, he's a, he was, he's a producer on the film. Okay. So, um, so he was involved. He, he, he certainly wasn't there day-to-day. -day. Right. Um, but I think at the very beginning... But he didn't, he, he didn't filter you. He said, go where you need to go. No, not at all. From the very get-go, Elton said, tell my story. Tell, yeah. the, tell the good, tell the fun, tell the bad, tell the dark, tell the light, you know. Mm. Um, and he, when we got to these milestones, whether it was we're going to have um, a test audience screening or, or you know, we've, we've gotten to a certain spot, let's send it to Paramount and let's send it to all the producers. So he would weigh in yeah. um, and, and, and kind of steer the ship peripherally like that. Um, but like I said, he 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 wasn't there, and I know he had a big part in a, approval of Taryn being involved in portraying. You know, the the other thing that's uh, slightly different about this and other a lot of the other conventional biopics is that Elton and Bernie are still alive. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. I was I was I had the opportunity to spend like a whole day and a half with with Bernie Taupin, and um, he was just saying how he would he was at his like hotel gym on a treadmill. With all these people around him just working out while there's a advertisement on the TV for Rocket Man, and he's like, "How fucked up is this?" That like, 
there's someone on the screen playing me. I'm just in this gym running, and I'm still alive. And like, have 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 yeah. we all earned this yet, and everything? But it's, it, I think they're both very very pleased with the outcome. I think. I mean, it's also rare to see that because yeah, usually these stories are told after the artist passed away, and then it's like it becomes like okay, how much is it creative liberties? But if you have the artist there, kind of be like, no, this is how it happened, and this, yeah, you know, I think that's a, yeah. And a the, and there are have. a lot of there are a lot of um, creative liberties, of course, in this in yeah, this song without giving too many of the details away. The film is um, the film is told from the perspective of Elton yeah in in rehab so he's retelling his life story sto his story his <laughs> another pun uh, he's retelling his life story um, and so you're literally going into his brain and yeah. you're getting some of these things are a little bit factual and some of them are like from his perspective yeah. in in a slightly inebriated state sometimes <laughs> right right um, and you know we there's some timeline chronologically chronological facts that have been skewed a bit just mm. to, to, to it's poetic license it's of course it's, it's, it's a, a film it's yeah not it's not a documentary to, yeah, no I, we, we didn't make this movie for people to say well that song wasn't made in that year so right. you guys are not factual it's we, we know it's, it's all, you'll still get it's all those fine. people yeah, of course you will <laughs> and thanks for pointing it out <laughs> Thank you. We noticed. <laughs> um, so, looking back at the whole experience of just Rocket Man, what, what was like your favorite? These were like a, a pinnacle moment where like this was amazing. Whether it was like recording or whether it was it's always recording. Yeah, it's just you know, when you see that music come to life. Yeah, it's when you get the 60, 80 piece orchestra in there. And we did a lot of choir work on this. We have yeah. like full on like James Horner glory boys choir arrangements of oh, Rocket Man and Goodbye Elbrick Road and. Um, so, you know, you, you, we try to mock these things up with our samples and with the fake orchestra and everything. And when you get everyone in the room, that's, that's, that's always the best part, you know. And of course, working with Taryn and working with um, Elton briefly, but being able to right. kind of hang with him yeah. was a trip. And working with Giles, I mean, the guy comes from a very band-oriented career. Of, of remixing a lot of the Beatles stuff and working with, you know, more more band behavior than orchestra orchestra and and so that was a different process for me you know because we tried to integral what are you using what instruments are you using on that song well my cue that's leading into that song let me get some of those players to play on that cue that's going to go in so it was just a different experience it was a very i love that too because you don't see that usually it's the songs are done here and the score is done yeah here no we wanted just, to yeah. make it a really seamless um thing and and the process was different for me yeah. because i come from a very meticulous um okay this cue's been approved so we've got these strings they're going to start at seven o'clock it'll take probably 25 minutes but let's give us a 24 to 28 minute buffer to record <laughs> and uh i think the band world's slightly different than that it's yeah. uh, you know, let's get some gospel singers in, see what happens. <laughs> and then do we need do we need to prepare parts? We're like, no, we'll just jam with them and see, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get something down, you know. So it was uh, it was great. It was a it was a really positive learning experience for me, and I and I hope for him as well. I'm sure, I yeah. Think I, I brought something to the table as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you work and when you're working it that way, I'm of course with every film. Uh, you have picture changes, you have uh, the, the cut changes. When you have this is a kind of blending of score and song, and if they chop a few frames here or there, how does that, is, did that happen yeah, in this film? It, it did, and it just gets more, it just gets, it just adds, it, picture changes always just add a different dimension. Right. And now you're Was just, it any different than working on just like, just, you know, conforming score to fit certain things, or was it like a um, different beast altogether? The, it, it, it was in the sense that... Um, with score, especially with something that's not... Kind of driving at a, at a mm. constant tempo 
there can sometimes be a little bit of ebb and flow and malleability to how right. things are hitting if there's a conversation and you oh they've taken out three fl frames there but the, the cue still works so we'll leave it alone or oh no it's actually sitting a little bit differently which is quite nice now um, but when you're dealing with people on screen singing and they make changes you can't you have to we need to you need to be frame accurate or else the music is the song's not going to match with yeah. their voice obviously so that was a little bit of a challenge for some of them um, especially because some some of the some of the songs that were shot there, were, there was like five minute versions of that song shot and then well now all of a sudden we've got a three and a half hour film right. and and so where are we you know, what's going to end up on the cutting room floor and what are we going to get rid of and and so there are some songs that like i said were initially like three or four minutes long that have been chopped down to a, a minute 20 or something you know so absolutely the tail the inevitable tail chase of picture editing <laughs> so to um I mean, congratulations! All. I mean, that's just an amazing accomplishment. And Thanks. I, think, I mean, Thank you I know you've been working on it so hard, and uh, I, I haven't seen it yet, so I, I can't wait to see it. I was actually going to try to go see it. They had like a Fandango early access, but I couldn't make it. Make but sure you see it in a good theater. ArcLight, baby, all the time. I went to the Fandango um, screening. Oh yeah, where did they show it? Uh, well, I don't want to go bashing <laughs> movie theaters. Please, I bet you. Um, it was, <laughs> if it was, it an was AMC, a small. It was a very small theater in uh, Santa Monica. Okay. And uh, I was like, well, I was like, is. Is it in mono right now? Because the sound system just it wasn't. <laughs> it was an AMC. It could have been. It <laughs> wasn't. It wasn't up to date. It was. It was my first time seeing it in a theater with the public, and as soon as the movie starts, it's like, oh, oh crap. But, but I did. Um, I did go to a second screening a couple of days ago in a really nice theater on the East Coast, and uh, and it was it redeemed the. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm definitely going to go to, to ArcLight. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just one final. I know we were talking about musical theater earlier. Um, yeah. And I know you even worked on briefly, like Into the Woods. I think you did some stuff yeah. on that. Like, so if you had to, so many, you know, music musicals. I think a little bit of a renaissance of like pure musicals. If there's like a, a a Broadway show or anything that you would love to work on, turn into a film, what would that? What would it be? <sighs> a broad. Well, the, the great thing about Rocket Man, it, 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 it's not a musical. Exactly, it wasn't a musical. We've right. kind of made it into a musical. Um, I think they're really tough. I don't yeah. think there's that. There's there's a lot of them that have been made. I haven't. I'm embarrassed to say this. I haven't seen Les Mis yet, the film. Neither have I, actually. And, and, no, I, I, and I l absolutely love the show. Um, I've seen all the Phantom of the Opera movies. Yeah. Do you think they've done it justice or no? It's tough. It's 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 really tough. Even the... Um, I, I was 17 when Rent came out right. on Broadway. And oh, that's right. Well, we got Spielberg doing... I mean, Spielberg's, oh, he's doing West Side Story. Right? Yeah, yeah, Spielberg's right. doing West Side Story. Yeah. I believe there's a couple... I mean, I think Little Shop might have been Greenlaw. I'm not quite. There's a couple of them. It's Fiddler, Fiddler is not. No, it's West Side Story. Right. Um, yeah, they're 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 just they're just tough. Sometimes they don't translate that well. I thought Rob Marshall, without being too biased, did an amazing job with Into the Woods. Yeah. I thought it was really good. I thought what I mean. I all like nine them, too. He I think he directed nine. Didn't he direct nine? He did. Uh, he directed Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. But who directed nine? Chicago was great too. I mean, <laughs> the, I mean, he knows what he's doing with, with you know, and he with with that genre. He just he really knows how to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, whew, ones that haven't been. I don't. I mean, Cats. There's some really good music in Cats, but there's not much of a story there, is there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a a lot of stories <laughs> there. Um, Maybe it could be an animated. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, inevitably we'll get Hamilton someday. I would uh, yeah. love to yeah. be a part of that because you could actually make that huge. You could you could make that um, 
you know, you have the whole, you have all the colonies. Too, yeah. You have Philadelphia. You have Boston. They could they could really make that a, a, a wonder. New York. They can make it a wonderful world. Yeah. Um, I would imagine the set designer would be like a big and shit <laughs> working on something like Hamilton. You know, costume designs. Yeah. Um, very big camp. Hamilton kick right now. Uh, <laughs> what else is that? There's a there's a really there's a really wonderful musical that I just saw. Um, for the first time, I didn't even know much about it, called The Falsettos. I haven't heard of that. Um, and it's a really small cast, but I could see, some, it would be interesting to see something like that, like that's mm. not, a, you know, but maybe turned into right. yeah. a, a huge, ine inevitably, Dear Evan Hansen, if it hasn't been turned into a movie already, right? No, it's, it's no, I think it just came think out so. like two or yeah. three years ago, three or four years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, as long as it's done right, I would I would love to be a part <laughs> yeah. of any of them. You know, it's well, that's fair enough. But um, uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time, for you talking, too. You for too, exploring your you. process, and congrats, man. It's, it's it's I know you've worked so hard, so congrats on Rocket Man. I've seen great reviews, so I'm so happy for you. Thank so, you very thanks. much. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. I hope you love it when you get to see it. <laughs>